Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Laura Mayer. Laura, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. My name's Laura Mayer. I'm a longtime, get ready for it, podcast executive. Um, that is a thing. And I am currently the host of a show that I'm producing and hosting myself independently called Shameless Acquisition Target. The subtitle is the show that sells itself um, <laughs> because the gimmick of the show is I'm trying to sell it for parts at the end of its run, which is upcoming. Um, and so we're uh, you're talking to me in the middle of my uh, period where I'm just truly shamelessly selling myself as hard as, as, as I possibly can. Well, thank you for coming on and hopefully this will help with the <laughs> promotion, at least somewhat. Um, I'm sure it will. So the Shameless Acquisition Target is the name of the podcast, and you can find that using whatever podcast app you use, mm -hmm. or you can go to shameless.biz, B-I-Z. That's mm -hmm. a great URL. Uh, it will not give you viruses, um, <laughs> despite the URL and the look of the website. I'm very proud of the website. Okay. So I was actually describing this show to someone, and I think it's a little hard to describe what it is, although you gave a brief description already the show is about the podcast industry in a lot of ways but it mm -hmm. also is sort of biographical it's um funny it's postmodern in various ways because mm -hmm. it's a podcast about itself mm -hmm. and you literally are trying to sell as much as you can of it at, at the end mm -hmm. um okay so how you know what's your elevator pitch to use that cliche term yeah of, of what the show is. Of which I've been doing a lot of lately. So you can probably, this will be a spoiler as to how um, successful or not I am at the end of this whole thing. <laughs> Shameless Acquisition Target, subtitled The Show it's, That Sells Itself, is, uh, I think you did a great job describing it. I mean, it's a limited run series for now, question mark. Um, and uh, it's about the growth of an industry that um, certainly when I started technically working in it or alongside it in 2009, is much different than what it is today, however many years later that is. I can't do the math or else I will um, have an existential crisis. Um, and it's really about how, for me, what happens from my perspective uh, or what has happened from my perspective as I've seen, I'd say, on uh, a podcast, an industry go from like teenage teenagehoodum adolescence to uh, adulthood, like um, very quickly um, as helped by billions of dollars being injected into it over the course of just a few years. Um, and it's funny because when I started in podcasting, it was so associated with public radio. And I started my first like paid radio job was in public radio. And when I started at WNYC in 2009, they were shutting down a lot of their podcasts. And since then, you know, obviously podcasting has become its own thing, which is great. Um, there's a lot more diversity of shows, of types of shows, of formats, of hosts, of everything. But I think that there's also another thing that this series does, or I hope it does, is um, kind of track some, I think, key mistakes that were made along the way of the many millions slash billions of dollars that were injected into an industry that wasn't maybe quite ready for it, in which um, lessons from film and TV and especially streaming, a nascent medium in itself, streaming film and, and TV, or TV and film to a certain extent, were directly ported onto podcasting. And I think that that led to a lot of business and creative decisions to be made that I saw being made in a lot of different um, boardrooms or meetings uh, throughout the years that uh, were just sort of wacky. And I'm trying to portray that sort of uh, wackiness that, I, that I've seen over the last few years in this series. Okay. So you were there early on mm -hmm. and you also were a super fan of public radio yes. and This American Life in particular, which, I mean, set some of the aesthetic tone for a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. and also gave birth to Serial, which was mm -hmm. one of the, I don't know, most successful podcasts ever and also 
really change, like totally. change or supercharge the industry. So part of, you know, the title is, sh is shameless acquisition target. And part of what you're doing is saying like, you have worked behind the scenes at a lot of different companies and podcasts that our viewers or are, they're not viewers, our listeners <laughs> have heard of, and you can mention them if you want to. And you um, have seen fortunes rise and fall and mm -hmm. people who you are working with become superstars mm -hmm. and you are often, you know, a behind the scenes person Mm -hmm. who did not <laughs> did not become a superstar yet at least mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the ship has not come in <laughs> right literally first it's, thing i'll do is buy a boat i'm just kidding it's and so part of the show is like and i think this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek but you can <laughs> clarify is like time to get mine like i need yep. to like you know you're you're shameless about it like you want to make some money <laughs> off of this yeah. crazy podcasting thing because you've you know you've seen people make ridiculous amounts of money over the past five or so years. Um, and so part of that is like the acquisition model. Can you talk about, mm -hmm. about that and how that has shaped or deformed, you know, what was originally <laughs> what good about podcasts? Sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it, I've seen the, you know, from the inside at, at a bunch of different companies that I've worked at, like, the value, various value calculators, where it's like someone comes in with an idea and then it goes through a process that I'm sure is the case in different ways for all media, which is like, okay, this is creative art that we think could have an audience. Let's determine what that audience could look like via this proprietary formula. And then let's determine how much money we should or could get away with giving that person. Um, or how little money we could or should get away with giving that person. And truly, like I've been on the buyer side of things and and if not, I've not necessarily run those calculators, but I've certainly been the one to be like, this is what our budget is. Um, I have seen art meet commerce directly, <laughs> um, so to speak. And it's it's interesting because with all the money that came in, like I remember the day Gimlet was bought, is one that like really sticks out to me as a turning point. Um, there is, of course, you know, there there are kind of two major turning points to me from like a commercial and like art-ish perspective. One is the day uh, that the last episode of Serial aired. Um, and that being just like a huge deal at WNYC where I worked at the time. Um, and there were listening parties in the, the event space at WNYC. And there was just a lot of like, you know, it, it really felt like a time of possibility and um, of, of it really being like, oh, you know, WNYC, at least for producers in New York, isn't necessarily the only game in town. And when I moved to New York in 2009, like permanently, it was all, I was just trying to get a job at WNYC because that was the only place that I felt like I could work in public radio and actually like be hired to do that. Um, but then suddenly, Serial happens at the same time or around the same time that Gimlet launches. And suddenly all of my friends at the public radio station or largely a lot of my friends at the public radio station are leaving, which was, I remember at the time, like someone saying like, to me, like, I was asking like, well, why are you sending all these like thank you notes to all these like high up execs you've never met? And they said to me, well, you never know like when we're going to have to come back here. Like, I think that this idea of, oh, this whole Gimlet thing probably won't work or this podcast business probably won't work. So like, we still got to keep our options open in case we need to come back with our tails between our legs. Mm -hmm. And, um, but meantime, I'm there. I'm like amped that there's this podcast that like has theme music by like one of my favorite musicians of all time. That's like, I've been a true crime obsessive since I was a kid. Like I remember reading Helter Skelter like while I was babysitting at some point. Like <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? I am here, something is arriving. Um, and then uh, sure enough, you know, when Gimlet started, then a bunch of other podcasts, you know, startups started. Um, you know, I, I left to join one in large part because I wanted better dental insurance. Um, and it really felt like, oh, this is a new way of doing business. And of course, when you're like 
24, 25, 26, you have no sense of perspective or I had no perspective. Let me back up at that age. I had no sense of perspective in terms of, you know, um, in the industry and the media industry, especially there's sort of like this, uh, wave of, of new hot things that kind of ebb and flow. And so it, it really, so there wasn't a sense to me like, oh, it could go away. I really was like all in from the beginning. Like this is the new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and it was exciting. And, 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 and from a material perspective, it was the first time I was being paid a livable wage. Um, and I was able to like feed my cat the slightly better food and go to the <laughs> dentist. So that is time one. Um, and, and we should just say for, for people who mm -hmm. maybe have heard of Gimlet, but you know, don't know the yeah, yeah, backstory. Yeah. We don't need to get fully into it, but Gimlet was, and correct me on anything I have wrong here. Gimlet mm -hmm. was founded by Alex Bloomberg, who came from This American Life and. And Planet became, Money. Right. And, which were, you know, obviously both very successful. Um, was Planet Money originally a radio show or was it always a podcast? Uh, you know, it was it was just it would just air on NPR also, I believe. Right? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I think I think it was a spinoff. Hard that, to tell. I'm not sure. Yeah. OK, but it moved. that's a controversial question. I think. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so but moving from public radio and then started this podcast company and then he had a show, which I actually never listened to called Startup. That was mm -hmm. a show, a podcast about starting a podcast mm -hmm. company, which you talk about this on your show, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, some way a sort of like postmodern version of yeah. startup, I assume, but like startup was turned into a sitcom mm -hmm. starring Zach Braff, mm -hmm. which only aired for one season. But you talk about how like unlikely that is to begin with and sort of insane that yeah, that yeah, yeah. happened. So, so, so like Gimlet is, there's a lot of parallels between like the podcast industry and sort of like, the app, like app startup tech mm -hmm. industry, various ways. Mm -hmm. So Gimlet, you know, would be like, it's not a Facebook exactly, but, you know, super successful, totally. <laughs> about as successful as, as it could be for, for what it was. Totally. And it was a, a big time first mover in the space in terms of, um, I mean, startup in the podcast about creating the podcast startup um, was a lot about in the first season, especially about raising venture capital. And that had not been done, um, at least not to the scale that they did it in podcasting. Um, and so it was, you know, and then it was a personal story. It was about Alex Bloomberg leaving basically the, you know, the best job that you could have in podcasting at the time between Planet Money and This American Life to take a big financial risk to do something that, you know, as a business reporter, you know, had reported on, but had never done himself um, to start this new thing that hadn't existed before. And, and that added to some of the excitement. And my show, which I think you mentioned, like, you know, obviously it is, um, it is, is not uh, the, the, no one's going to be talking about my show, like, eight years from now in a podcast interview about like, you know, there's a sense of excitement and possibility and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm essentially creating bullshit startup, which is what one of my friends called it. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, that's me. And I was like, oh no, that's right. Like, that's exactly right. Like that show too came out around the time of serial and added to this like full blown moment of real like economic possibility and wonder in the medium um, that I had. And, um, and this gets, I guess, to the second, the second, uh, inflection point from my perspective is, um, you know, Gimlet was hugely splashy. Um, they made some really good work. Their founders were really at the center of the story because of their podcast. And then also because Alex Bloomberg was involved in making like all of their shows. And I think to a certain extent is still really involved in making all of their shows. They made this bet that was a really risky one that they were going to spend a lot of money on all of their shows with the intent of all of their shows becoming film and TV projects after um, they kind of uh, didn't expect that to happen when it did happen with startup, um, which was uh, became Alex Inc., which was the 
the the television fictional television version of uh the podcast startup <laughs> starring Zach Braff it's it's this is very confusing to everyone I'm sorry yeah it's it's so it's sort of you know like Ouroboros like like yeah. was there did anyone do a podcast about that show like a weekly recap podcast of that show like that no that would but they would now an and additional I guess some layer. could say that I did that one that one episode um could be spun out as just like um <laughs> a really loving love letter to Alex Inc. Um, <laughs> which my like aunt-in-law recently told me, she was like, I love that show. I hated that it got canceled. And I was huh. like, nice. uh, you know, somehow I, I, I missed this entirely. I know I, I had never heard of it before. Um, despite being, you know, at least adjacent to the podcast yeah. industry for, well, no, I'd say you're in, you have a podcast. <laughs> you're, you're in there with us. Right. Okay. True. But I, I and somehow and actually, um, I'd always I've always sort of kept half an eye on Zach Braff because uh, we went to the same high school. Although oh, he really? Graduated I went to, about... to the same college as Zach. Braff. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Columbia High School in Maplewood, New Jersey. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and and it does sort of seem like a weird time capsule of uh, of an era <laughs> that like. Uh, the first thing that popped in my head is that there was like at some point in like 1993 or four, Coca Cola tried developing a uh, soda just for Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. um, the, was that Coke? Was that the clear Coke? I think it was called like nothing or something, but yeah. like and it, they got like alternative cartoonists to draw like faces for the can. So it was like Seth and Daniel close to drawing on it. Damn. And like, of course it, it was like a total bomb and mm -hmm. is now just a collector's item, but somehow it was like a micro, you know, a like brief cultural moment. And then like someone tries to capitalize it. it and totally. Then... <laughs> and then it's just like, nope. Like once the money comes in, you know, it's like the, the souffle deflates. Right. Um, And I will say that, like, I think that, from an Alex Inc. perspective, like that show, that adaptation of Startup to Alex Inc. was really sort of the beginning of the podcast to um, especially TV pipeline. Like that's, it's, that that was really, really hot and may continue to be hot, so to speak, um, depending on various things in streaming history, but it, it kind of like Kate or streaming upcoming, you know, future, but like the podcast to TV pipeline coincided again, timing was really good with, um, to going back to Gimlet launching when serial was finishing its run. And then Alex Inc launching right when kind of the, the streaming wars were beginning, like there suddenly, and I talk about this in one of the episodes of the show you know, there were all these development execs at various streaming companies that were aware of podcasts and everything was getting options. Um, and very few things were getting made, which is part of the reason why Alex Inc. becoming a network television show was so remarkable. But so many things were getting optioned that it became from within these podcast companies, like a very clear business sort of argument that like, oh, of course, we'll just do what Gimlet's doing and dump a ton of money into stuff. And then it'll become a TV show, which of course ignores the fact that like, first of all, something has to be like good as a podcast first. Like if you're make if you're a podcast company, in my opinion, but then also, <laughs> um, which is, which is very controversial, I know, um, and kind of is, and has been for me in my career in the past, but I will put that to the side. Um, but also like in order for something to go from getting that $15,000 option fee or whatever to becoming, uh, you know, a limited run series or a network series, um, it, it just requires so many things to break in the right way. And I think as a result, it led to, even, even with this period of time, I'd say in like, what would that be? Like 2018 to potentially present with all of these streamers coming on online, like where in theory, like more things were getting optioned and picked up than ever because there's this bigger demand for, greater demand for content. So it's just another example of Gimlet being like right place, right time, mm -hmm. which, which, so like, so there's, and, and just to kind of, cause I, I like must make myself understand things, you know, as Joan Didion said, and I'm going to butcher this, um, you know, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. I tell myself stories about how I experienced the podcast industry in order to live. <laughs> um, that gets back to like the initial inflection point, 
serial, then Gimlet starting, then Alex Inc. and people being like, oh, podcast company now, TV company now, then Gimlet selling to Spotify in, I believe that was 2019. Um, and I remember when that happened, how big of a deal it was. Uh, and it just being like, cause they, they were sold for, I believe it was the, the price tag was for, they were acquired for $250 million, which was unheard of. And actually was just the beginning of a series of big, 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 big deals for original production companies and all of their original IP and the tech stack that started around that time. Mm -hmm. And I can remember like at the, at that time I was, um, I just started a company with the other co-founder of Planet Money <laughs> and uh, he was somewhere else. And I saw this Gimlet news and I was just like, fuck it, I'm going home. Like there was just something about it where I was just like, this is not gonna be good for me. I don't know why, hmm. but this is not gonna be good for me. In part, because I was deeply, deeply jealous, like so deeply jealous of of, of my, like in, in a lot of senses, good friends who just made a lot of money, but also there was just this sense of me of like things ha are ch things have changed and have I made, have I positioned myself to change with the times? Mm -hmm. um, so there have been a number of shows now, you know, not Alex Inc. where it's like a sitcom based on the, you know, foibles of a podcast startup, but like stories that are, it's usually a, a limited series, a lot are in true crime or an mm -hmm. investigation, and then they've been dramatized in limited run series. So those include Dirty John, Dr. Death, uh, The Dropout, the one about, um, Oh, the blood testing theranos theranos um, yep drink next door mm -hmm. um so some of these th things that started as podcasts have become major you know a lot of, are on streaming uh tv productions with major stars and uh, emmy nominations and stuff like that so some people have like hit the jackpot mm -hmm. through this but it does well it seems sort of crazy to think like i'm gonna make a podcast like, so that there's a one in 10,000 chance that it'll become a TV show because it just seems like so right. unlikely because there's so many, as you talk about in, this, in the episode, you know, there's so many ways that any TV show could just fall apart and not happen. And that even when it does happen, you know, it, it could get canceled after one season totally. and it's, you know, as a total flop. So, <laughs> so that seems strange to me. I mean, it does, it seems sort of like, the venture capital model of, mm -hmm. you know, investing in a thousand different tech startups, thinking that one of them will become a billion dollar, you know, company or like, mm -hmm. a, what do they call it? Like a whale or a, a unicorn unicorn. Yes. Um, and you know, if you have a billion dollars to invest, then you could <laughs> do that and give $5 million to a thousand different companies and, mm -hmm. you know, turn a profit, but doing it like, expecting that Hollywood is going to give you a big payday in the end seems sort of crazy to me, but I guess it has worked out at least hints for some, some podcasts because, you know, yeah. the Elizabeth Holmes story is, you know, was, was a hit or whatever for, for yeah. but I think it also like it, there's like a certain amount of hubris to think that I, I, I saw this like in the, in the podcast, you know, when I was working at different podcast companies where, you know, like the, what I say in the, in the streaming episode of my pod, of my show, like there's like nothing particularly new in any, any of that. And I know that the people that I've worked with in the past, especially people who had come from film and TV knew that the odds were bad, but there was a certain kind of, I think, hubris of, well, we're making the good content. So it'll definitely work out for us and look at these other guys see Gimlet who are doing it but I think also there's this um you mentioned you know VCs who are making these investments there's there's a certain kind of value created by a show by a podcast that becomes a television show that even if it even say it's on streaming it has one season one short season um if there is a billboard on Sunset Boulevard that someone can take a picture of and send to the investors as part of the story of the way that the company is scaling. In a lot of cases, that's worth more than whatever financial success 
the company would actually get from the show itself. Mm-hmm. So, so you it becomes that, a, prove that yeah. you did it once. You can you do it again, and here's another X amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and I know that's cynical, but I, but I, I know that that's that's the case. I mean, it's it's all business is all about storytelling, too. Um, cliche alert, uh, but I think that as far as it relates to you know um, podcasts becoming, especially television shows, in the last few years, the wins are less about oh, we're we're not the you know the podcast companies didn't necessarily have the the leverage to fight to make the kind of money that they would need to make and get the kind of EP credits and long-term participation in these streaming deals that they were making. I saw things being kind of pushed to just happen um, at a bunch of different companies, like regardless of the terms, just so that they could point to that billboard if the show got made so they could raise more money. Hmm which is fascinating to me. <laughs> and like, I don't blame them, I guess. Like, I don't know. I haven't run my own podcast. I haven't run a venture-backed podcast company for my, you know, little shameless nation. I don't have the stomach for that, but maybe that's why I'm not rich, you know? <laughs> right. And so there, so the shamelessness, you know, this comes into play. And you, and you have an yeah. episode where you talk about um shark tank and or the canadian Mm. version of shark tank dragon's den Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that sort of you know entrepreneurial personality type who is you know willing to like has an idea that they think could be a big success and is like what like what it takes to yeah to sell that type of thing um so something i was thinking about during while listening to the show is you know since i when i talk to people (laughs) in you know, regular people who do not host a podcast um, about podcasting. I've been saying recently that it I, it seems to me like it's still, we're still in the very early days of the medium, mm-hmm. like like television in, in like the 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows where this thing could go. From your mouth to Pod's ears. I agree. <laughs> okay. But listening to your show, it sort of seems like, well, maybe our best days are behind us or it took this wrong turn mm-hmm. such that, yeah, it's more, it's like there was sort of a dot com, like equivalent yeah. to the dot com bubble, and then sort of a bursting is happening now as streamers, you know, cut their costs and things don't pan out exactly as they should be. So, where do you, I mean, where do you think the podcast industry medium is? You know, is there a historical parallel that you think we're somewhere in the middle of right now? Yeah. Um, that, Caveat is I am not um, a media theorist. I could become one, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> I think anyone could do it these days. Anyone can do it. You know, so I, I'm setting up my shingle, Laura Mayer, <laughs> media theory. Um, you know, I think I am. In, I I've said this to some other folks, and I think I may have said this in the podcast. But like, I am still incredibly bullish on podcasting as a creative form, both on the narrative side and then also just you know, on the chat side. And I think that the fact that I'm differentiating between narrative and chat so clearly is like part of why the medium may feel stuck for listeners at this at this stage. Like, I think that um, in a lot of cases, like there's still a lot of play to be done within the kind of shows that are being greenlit that can, can be both story-driven and personality-driven, which I think is the distinction between narrative and chat respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there is a business correction at hand. Um, I think that that's the case for basically, you know, every industry right now, but especially media or anything that's kind of been frothy with um, maybe uh, extra special investment uh, interest over the last few years, just as we are entering hard times or harder times or whatever times. Mm-hmm. You know, I am of the opinion that, you know, so I will say that in 2009, I mentioned this earlier, like when I, when I started at WNYC, like, I think I mentioned this, they were shutting down a lot of the podcasts and Mm -hmm. there was always talk there. And then among friends of mine, um, about, oh, the podcast bubbles bursting. Um, oh, and then, and then since then, like there's every three months there is 
the group chats are just like, well, here's the podcast bubble bursting, especially people <laughs> who have been around it, you know, for, or at least this iteration of it, you know, for the period of time that I have. And the truth is, you know, the, the bursting that happened in 2009 obviously was tied to the Great Recession and they're not being, um, I think, a really like fully thought through and uh, hungry advertising space for podcasts that had the chance to be proven um, once, you know, the economy started uh, once the economy started recovering from the Great Recession, of course, you know, that changed. Uh, investment from media companies became more interested in trying to teach folks how to sell podcasting. Suddenly podcasts were being made again, yada, 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 serial, et cetera. Um, what I do think will happen is I think that a lot of the kind of uh, maybe less stable, both from a creative and then also from a real audience listenership and revenue um, perspective, players are going to start shaking out of the market because there's not going to be that attempt to be able to, not that ability to go back to the investment well and kind of patch up holes if, you know, a creative or, you know, business plan isn't fully solid. So I do think that podcasting is experiencing a correction. I think that we're going to be looking at shows that are made at lower costs, but I think that the difference between now and 2008, 2009, when there was really the thought of the bubble having burst is that people have developed the habit of listening to podcasts way more than they had then. Right. The, the technology is different. Like car. I mean, in 2009, the iPhone had been out for like a year. You know, Two, yeah, two, two years, two years or so. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get a smartphone until 2012, I think. And yeah. and when I was the first podcast I listened to, I would listen to them on my laptop. Right, me um, too. Yeah, so that I, I'm, there's still people who do that, but it's you know now very closely associated with with the smartphone, and and everyone has a smartphone now. So yeah, the technology right. has, has changed a lot. And and not to mention, you know, and there's smartphones, and there's also like smart cars. Um, and so I do think that like the days of the kind of cliche, um, like I do think that there was a sense at a certain point when revenue was going up, up, up and listener numbers were going up, up, up just month over month. Every time I um, was part of, you know, an all hands sales meeting for a couple of years at various companies, like that time is not, that time is over for now or at least maybe stopping. But I think that it's been sort of a long time coming for their to for the for the rule book to be rewritten a little bit. Um, like I think that what the the danger of sort of things being sort of at status quo for so long is that a lot of players, a lot of people who have made podcasts have sort of been doing the same things over and over again. And with adversity, you're sort of forced into change. And so I think from an artistic perspective and from a business perspective, that's going to mean that, you know, as whatever version of whatever you want to call it, the bubble popping, the bubble slightly deflating, the course correcting happens, we're going to emerge on the other side with a whole new host of creators and types of content that make more sense for where podcasting is today. Mm -hmm. So... So one reason I think like I'm optimistic about, you know, the future podcasting is it continues to be, okay, it's, it, anyone can do it, even me, and mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, oh, you and, know what you're doing. And, but truly like, I mean, if you compare it to making your own TV show or, um, you know, making, making your own movie or, or even like making your own music and distributing it online, it's a lot easier to do it. And it is so in some so in some ways it's like a totally open system. It's somewhat akin to blogging. Like you just need a couple mm -hmm. basic skills and you can do something, you know, like that is listenable. And so anyone can do it more or less. And you don't need, you know, you, you can spend a lot of money to make your build a home studio or mm -hmm. get the best equipment, but you can also do it on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And certainly compared to making an independent film or something, it's much, much easier. Um totally. But you know, one of the problems is um, if you make something, how does anyone find it? And then right. this is a nut that if 
you know, no one has exactly cracked yet. Um, the Apple, uh, formerly, um, you know, iTunes, Apple podcast app interface, uh, has mysterious ways and seems mm-hmm. to, you know, if it recommends you or something, or if you can move up that you'll, there'll be like a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the stuff that is on there comes from either, uh, an established personality an established brand, a famous, like a celebrity, or like, this is the new thing from the New York times or right. the new thing from Bloomberg or whatever. But you can, you know, there's stuff that bubbles up that, you know, is just some people doing their own weird thing and you can hear it. So it's, you know, sort of equivalent to blogging. And of course, blogging basically died for various reasons, social media and, um, but like there was also was like a period of acquisitions right. where people like Andrew Sullivan or mm. Matt Iglesias or Ezra mm-hmm. Klein or something, you know, who started off just doing it themselves, like uh, got picked up by a larger mm-hmm. media outlet. Yeah. So it, it it still seems like early, early days to me and the financials are still hard to figure out. Right. But, but the, you know, the basic technology is so open that it makes me think you know this is not <laughs> like this is not going to be like blogs like right. innovation is is going to continue you know whether people can make a living doing this is different and that was also very totally. hard in the blog era but like people who want to make inter- interesting creative projects like they can continue doing that does, does that make sense yeah i hope so i mean i think so i'm betting my life professionally on it so yes I think so I mean I think that and also like in in different iterations of my professional life like I've been in this position of having to just go out and make as many shows as possible um and I think that that was bad for everybody involved um listeners the people making them myself my cats etc um (laughs) And I think that one positive, and, and that was just purely to capture the, you know, in, in during that period of time a few years ago, like there was just not enough. Um, there was not, there was too much demand from an advertising standpoint and not enough um, inventory on the podcast side, you know, when working with a big publisher. And it was almost like the audience numbers at that time, because, uh, things were different, were less relevant than just getting ads in ad slots. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how effective any of those ads were. I know that I was involved with making a lot of very bad podcasts as a result of that. (laughs) And so like, and I, I, and it wasn't just like, oh, someone made me like, I know I've made bad decisions because if you're at, if you're tasked with making like a ton of stuff, you're going to make a bunch of stuff that probably sounds a ton of stuff without a lot of resources you're going to make a ton of stuff that doesn't sound good um and so you know i think that ideally there's the shows that there will be discovery mechanisms outside of just the big apps kind of putting something in the right spot where if you open your phone it's just easy to click on i don't know how we'll get there no one has cracked that discovery nut but then there's also like, I don't know if you saw the news from uh, Defector Media, which is kind of uh, reader owned. Um, and they have this podcast. R- writer, writer owned. Writer owned. So the, De- Defector is the people Sorry. who all quit Deadspin yes, and started yes, yes. their own sports and culture website. Yeah, that was a uh, bad misspeaking. Um, although I'm assuming if it's writer owned, it's also, they can also read. So it would be. <laughs> readers as well well um, let's not get it i don't know how much time you spent on twitter there was a controversy a couple of months ago about uh expecting someone who's a writer to read books whether that oh is ba- really is bad or not yeah we don't need to get it <laughs> well that. there were yeah. charges that it was ableist to expect a writer to read books because not everyone can read quickly and um interesting it's hard for some people to read and and you shouldn't you know saying okay. you can't be a writer because you can't read a book you know that's not good. So that was an interesting Twitter kerfuffle from a couple of months ago. I will but Google that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll fill you in afterwards on the, yes, on the please details. Do. Um, but, but what was interesting is they, DeFactor announced that one of their, their podcast, uh, Normal Gossip, which if you haven't heard. 
I've heard of it and it sounds super interesting. It's it's like on my, you know, list of things to check out. Put it on, put it, move it to number one because you will have (laughs) fun. It is so much fun to listen to. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a show in which the host, uh, Kelsey, and her producer go through listener submitted or audience or if they have someone on the show kind of going through the details of um, just what it sounds like, normal gossip that they've encountered, which it's so good. And this, and, and the reason why I like this. So it's not, it's not gossip about celebrities. It's like, no. this is the gossip for people's lives, anonymized, I assume. And yeah, totally anonymized, or it's a gossip from someone else that's close to the person. Like it's the stakes are so low. And yet, because gossip is so fun it is incredibly energetic to listen to it is the most i have the most fun listening to podcasts when i listen <laughs> to the show and like it's inspired me it makes me feel like you know i and i will stop gushing about it in a moment but like there's something about the show too that like makes me feel like uh harriet the spy a little bit because it's sort of like <laughs> there could be gossip sitting around any corner um but anyway they <laughs> uh defector put out this report and and mentioned normal gossip and it's it's totally true that like you know they took a bet on that the show would do well they took a bet on making a show that was replicable meaning that their production schedule wasn't one in which they needed to produce 50 episodes a year in order to hit this specific way that ads are being sold right now to break even they determined that they took a risk on the show because they knew that they had a sense that there would be an audience there. They knew that Defector could help promote that, but that beyond that audience, it would find, it would, there would be a snowball effect where others would find that show, and they did. And rarely is a show so routinely in the Apple Podcast Top 100 without having, like, like you mentioned, like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, like, mm-hmm. or X celebrity with a certain kind of megaphone behind them, like a television show. Um, like they are consistently in the top 200. They, I think they revealed, I could be wrong, that the show is getting 250,000 listeners, I believe per episode, or that hmm. might be monthly. Either way, that's that's sick. Those are some sick numbers. And the show is making money and it's making money without causing everybody who's involved with it to be like, we can't like to to like kind of have that, finals in high school or college era push and then like be like we can't make any more of the show for (laughs) an extended period of time and until our like immune system resets and i do think that in a lot of ways and the show is fun like there's nothing about like it's like i look forward to it i know a lot of people who listen to it really look forward to it and to me from a creative standpoint like i'm hoping that my show shameless acquisition target despite the fact that it's like so specific to the podcast industry is fun to listen to. It is. I've enjoyed listening to it. Oh, thank you. But like it's, but I also think that like it, there is a, a lesson I'm trying to kind of separately work on that. I know that normal gossip has really done, which is that I had a feeling there would be an audience for the show. There is an audience for the show, certainly more niche than their, you know, (laughs) 250,000 per episode. I would be, um, currently raising cats on my cat farm right now, if that were the case. Um, <laughs> but because of the way that I sort of run my PL for the show, I can keep making it if I wanted to. Um, or if I was able to, if I get my money right, et cetera, I listen to the last episode, November 30th. Um, and I think that those are decisions that kind of independents can make much easier than they can on, than networks can, because networks mm-hmm. are always going to be searching for volume. So maybe this is the beginning of a new era of independent creators. Okay, well that that's optimistic. Yeah, I just I just downloaded the first episode as we we're talking. Is that because multiple people have recommended this show to me? And then it's, it's strangely, and it's you know, I, I mean, I wanted to spend at least a little bit of time getting some advice from a podcast insider. It does mm-hmm. seem like word of mouth is an effective thing in the world of podcasts, or at least yes. I've been led to believe that. And then various podcasts I listen to will say. Of course, they all say rate and review, but they also say like tell a friend. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's something about podcasting that is so personal because you're almost always listening to it using things that are stuck in your ears, hearing a voice like being beamed right into your brain, mm-hmm. usually by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you start to feel like you sort of know these people 
especially if it's like a chat show that has recurring, you know, recurring guests or recurring hosts. Then, yeah, they're your pals. Yes. So there's a sort of parasocial relationship, I guess is the term mm-hmm. um, with that. But so, you know, personal recommendations apparently um, are quite effective in spreading a podcast around. And you know, so multiple people have mentioned this one to me now. Do you, um, what do you make of that? And how, you know, how does one make their podcast audience grow yeah. <laughs> without um juking the stats or yes um i i don't know about you i get i'm on linkedin and <laughs> about five times a week i get someone from bangladesh saying they're a podcast promoter yes, wanting to too. connect with me you mean looking, all of our mutual friends <laughs> uh, well i've looked into this a little bit apparently it's various scams where like people have a oh, thousand yeah. you know apple accounts and are signing and sign in and out every 10 seconds and download episodes and stuff like that. So it's like paying someone on Fiverr to, you know, reload your homepage over totally. and over again or something. Um, but yeah, do, is word, do you think word of mouth is an actual yeah. way to spread the word? A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's definitely not the magic bullet that everyone wants to hear when, you know, they have the question of like, how do you build your podcast audience? Word of mouth still works. The easiest way to find a listener is by, it's as if they hear about your podcast on another show. Um, you know, I think I think newsletters are a really good way to promote your show. Um, I've seen with um, my show right now and then other shows I've worked on, that being a pretty good match, a pretty good way to drive listenership, um, especially if it's a newsletter that has an audience that you think would probably listen to your show or would like to hear about your show. You know, getting the the placement on the various apps, you know, is good, but I think that there's a diminishing return because, you know, increasingly with more, you know, it's, it's, if there's some gatekeeping involved and then because you need to know the right people who are running those editorial or curation at the time. Um, and if you don't, then no dice. And then even more so, um, now that there are more shows, uh, you know, being promoted, you no longer get your like three days in the sun. You get like one day maybe. And it's like, then you don't really get to Mm -hmm. have that sort of snowball effect. I'm curious to see, um, you know, there's this phenomenon that I'm sure you know about called book talk, which is like, you know, TikTok about books. Mm -hmm. I've heard in podcasting, just like so much interest around how like lessons can be learned from book talk, how podcasts can be promoted on TikTok, I'm sure that's a thing. I'm like too old and tired to figure that out, but that's probably <laughs> yes. something. On the, on the show, you mentioned that you hired oh some gosh. millennial. Uh, no, they're mar- Gen marketing. Z. Uh, oh, they sorry, be, Gen Z marketers. They would be so offended. Yeah, if, apologies, if Gen Zers. I'm sure they think I'm cringe and chuggy. Um, I am cringe. They keep saying I'm cringe. The, but they they're urging you to get on TikTok and to yes. do. Yeah, so the t- I mean, tick like that t- TikToks the algorithm somehow, you know, finds things that you, the viewer um, or the user of the app, wants and is mysterious in a way that the Apple podcast recommendation algorithm is as well. But I guess because of the size of the app, like yeah. things can really like snowball there in a way they don't on Twitter anymore yeah. or never did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about like churn like you know and and there can be things that in a good way and there and you can have um tic-tac posts that like will just randomly go viral as opposed to um needing some kind of extra bump from a influencer i am in so much tic-tac not financial but video debt (laughs) to my youths um i paid them the last of the money so um i i that has not helped me feel better um, but I am starting to make TikTok videos now. So I'll let you know if I uh, find any sort of secret weapons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there, I mean, is there a pod talk, pod talk, which I guess is a hard thing to say because it pod sounds like you're saying talk instead talk. of talk, but I don't, book, book talk, you know. I, I don't know. I think that there people are trying, but I don't know if it's happened. Um, and apologies right. to your listeners if it has happened and I just don't know because I've been too busy sending emails trying to get people to give me money. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, mm-hmm. Something that your show does that I've never heard a podcast do before is you talk explicitly about money coming in and money going out mm-hmm. and how much um, you're charging your advertiser slash sponsor to 
you know, highlight the company or, or, or what service that they're promoting. And so in your first episode, you said you had someone who was paying you a thousand dollars to do uh, advertisement or however you would describe it. And then you're set, you know, saying next week, anyone who has a th- at least a thousand and one, you know, mm-hmm. you can take this slot. And then you're also at the end of each episode talking about how much you're saying your profit and loss statement explicitly, how much you've spent on the show and how much you've made. Um, so this is interesting, uh, you know, both because usually that sort of stuff is not talked about publicly, but also like, yeah, what does it, you know, no one ever talks about how much it actually costs to make a podcast or, you know, any of the behind the scenes stuff. So can you talk about like why you decided to be transparent about that and how that this whole thing has worked so far? Well, so the transparency was based on the fact that, um, you know, I'm just trying to be as open about the process as possible. And also like a kind of a guiding light for the the project has been like, I, you know, there's a lot of like jokiness, but to the extent that anyone's the butt of the joke, it's gotta be me. Like, I don't want anyone <laughs> to feel like they've, they're being made fun of. And I think part of that um, sort of spirit was behind this idea of being like, look at me, I'm a dummy for spending X amount of money on this thing you just listened to. Um, and, and also getting to the point of like, you know, I like, this is all my savings from, like being just aggressively cheap over the years. Like I'm not, I no longer have the capacity to self-fund something like this. Mm -hmm. And so I figured, you know, might as well uh, throw all all of my my various thoughts at it. (laughs) And one of them is, I think there needs to be a transparency, some transparency around how much it costs to make a show. That said, um, by like narrative podcast standards, I'm making the show a lot cheaper than I think a lot of other companies would. Um, and that has, I've gotten some response for that, like stop blowing up our spot kind of thing. <laughs> oh, um, I didn't even think about that. Interesting. But like, but but then at the same time, like those have been sort of few and far between because like it is such a specific show. I'm obviously writing the whole thing and reporting it to the extent that there is recording. So like, and I'm not paying myself. So yeah, that's like gonna be, I'm not, that's not part of the calculus. Um, in terms of the ads, like, frankly, I'm a little on the fence on how I feel about dynamic ad insertion in, uh, in, in podcasts, because, you know, in looking back at how how things kind of went down with, um, especially like the fall of CPMs and, in you know, with websites and stuff, like a lot of that was driven by um selling and someone knows this who's listening so many people who know this who's listening know this better than me but selling you know show or selling advertisements in this kind of dynamically inserted way um and so can you for, for can you define that yeah cpm is that clicks per thousand is that what that means per I don't, meal I... so per thousand which yeah. is something i learned like a couple of years ago so it's like cpm is like you know a price of uh yeah like what would be the price for every thousand listeners to a show and um and dynamically inserted means means, so like dynamically inserted is so like in my show uh for example i don't do dynamically inserted ads they're just ads that are baked into the content of the show meaning um they are within the podcast they're not going to be removed from the podcast and that was deliberate because i wanted to uh first of all make sure that the sponsors were getting the most bang for their buck and then also in some cases the i i I wanted the opportunity to have the ads speak to the content of the show because i always like that frankly like um when i'm listening to shows and so um so so the it's not like on your show it's not like and you know, and now a word from our sponsor exactly, but you're sort of breaking in and doing these little vignettes or interviews woven into the narrative. Mm-hmm. But then on some, you know, on some other podcasts, if you listen to it in the first week and if you listen to it six months later, possibly different ads have been inserted in. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you catch this when they've been inserted in in the wrong location. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's like a minute early so they uh they don't go to break correctly mm-hmm. so that that that's when it's very obvious that like a human did not 
make this uh, decision. Yeah, or it's an ad that like, even if it's put in the right spot, even if it's like, you know, it's a fine thing to be advertised. Like the sound for the ad is like way louder than mm -hmm. the body of the show. Like, I don't know, like I'm... I think that this is something that is hard to do at scale, but I'm a big believer in, um, you know, if you're going to be selling ads for something, like make it, make them fun to listen to um, mm -hmm. in addition to the rest of the content. And so um, initially, like, frankly, with, I wasn't planning on selling ads for the series because I didn't want to overpromise listener numbers and under deliver because I didn't mm -hmm. know what the listener numbers were going to be. And I was going to initially in the ad slots um, do this thing that my twin brother and I talked about doing when we were little kids, which, but on podcasts, which was like, write to celebrities and ask them for a thousand dollars. And so each of my <laughs> ad breaks was going to be like, Hey, Mark Cuban, can I have a thousand dollars? Like it was going to be very shark tank forward. Uh -huh. And then I was interviewing Brian Barletta from sounds profitable who will actually be back on the show to discuss his business and things because it's very relevant to my overall um, point of view on the industry. But we were doing that interview and I mentioned to him like, yeah, I'm not going to sell ads. And he was like, what are you doing? Like you have to sell ads. And he's the one who's like, listen, you got to sell it as a sponsorship if you're worried about the listener numbers. Uh, and you have to, and here's what I'll do. A thousand dollars. Anyone else who can do more than that, knock me off. This is a challenge. Okay. So, that, so, so that's, that's in the first episode. Yep. So that's how in the first okay, episode, it um, ended up kind of becoming this in public bidding war. Right. Um, and so then uh, I accidentally and with the then the next the next advertisers, advertiser or sponsor, sorry, bought the sh bought a slot in the show for um, I believe it was one thousand and one dollar exactly. And then because people were like behind and listening to episodes, and then I was like, okay, I'm setting the next ad at $2,000. But because people were behind at listening to the episodes, I got like inundated with emails of people being like, I'll do $1,003, $1,004, and $1, I was just like, oh my God, like I can't keep track of this. And then in the third episode, I had to like rethink, I had to, you know, stop the car and uh, turn around and uh, rethink what my ad strategy would be. And that's when I did like a series of cross promos, which uh, kind of gets back to your point earlier, which is like you find out about a podcast from other podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And so, and I also wanted to be honest about the profit and loss statement, because if someone does buy me, I want to make or buy various, buy the show, buy the feed, buy, you know, whatever, hire me as an employee at their company to make the show. Um, I want to be clear, like how much I kind of put on the table of myself in order to try and make that happen. And I think that there's less uh, satisfaction in that if people aren't brought along on the journey as well, um, as opposed to just me being like, oh, by the way, I spent $22,000 on this show and someone gave me 40000 So math mm -hmm. says I made $18,000. Bye. Like that would be kind of a, a bummer ending of the mm -hmm. season. I mean, it'd be cool to make money, I mean, but I just think from a narrative <laughs> perspective. Right. And we're recording this in, be, in between the time when the fifth episode aired and you're working on the finale, I think. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the finale going to reveal if anyone what has did happened to me. acquire you or the show or the RSS feed or the intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one thing I did want to ask about is... Um, Okay, you can make money through advertising. You can make money by being acquired by a larger company. And you can make money hoping that your show will be turned into a movie or a TV show or something like that. Um, one of the other, the few other models is like a Patreon model mm -hmm. where people are subscribing to you directly and they usually get some sort of bonus, like an extra episode a week or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and this is basically the same as the Substack model. You know, th this... It seems like this is a sturdier model than relying on ads or relying on the whims of executives at large corporations. What do you think of this? Do you think about employing some version of this mm -hmm. in your show? Do you think this is promising or is this just a fad as well? You know, I think, I think, I don't think it's a fad. I think it's super promising, um, especially considering the, like the real 
loyalty and therefore feeling of ownership that a lot of listeners have for their favorite shows. The only thing that has really been stopping me, and this might not continue to be the case, who knows, um, with whatever I decide to do slash uh, what what will happen to me, which I guess is the <laughs> tagline for the last episode, is I if I were to do Patreon, I would want to make sure that I was really, really offering um, something that people would want and being able to deliver on it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, with this, we deliberately, like in, in creating the show by myself, like I was like, okay, well, you know, there's no real, there's the sponsors, but I'm not, you know, tied to some kind of network's clock. Um, so I can kind of put things out as I need to, if I need extra time, if I'm, you know, also I have a bunch of other clients doing other work. So like sometimes life gets in the way slash life is money. And so if I were to do the Patreon thing, I would Patreon thing, meaning the Patreon, uh, you know, sort of business model, which is a good one. Like I am someone who I think primarily listens to Patreon bonus episodes at a certain, after a certain point in the week, I definitely subscribe to many, many shows, Patreon feeds. I would need to for myself, like really make sure that I would be able to keep up the output um, Mm -hmm. because I don't want people to pay me and then not give them what they expect. Right. And so I think that if I were to go that route or some combination of that route, I would probably do it for free. um, Meaning outside of the Patreon paywall bonus episodes for a period of time, see what that's like. And then once I get a sense of what the actual production process would look like for me, you know, with the mix of my other work, I would, that's when I think I would feel comfortable if I got to that point um, to be able to uh, do Patreon in a real wholehearted way. Yeah. I mean, it seems, I mean, one other thing I have thought about podcasts with ads is it's easier to skip ads and podcasts than it is in most other mediums um, Mm -hmm. because you can fast forward 30 seconds. And then if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you hear a lot of the same ads if they're not doing like a native read or doing some Mm -hmm. interesting spin on it. And how many times do I want to hear a BetterHelp ad? So I'll just skip ahead. Um, So I wonder if advertisers have realized that yet. Um, And, you know, and, and the Patreon model, you don't have to deal with that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I don't know. Like, we'll see what ends up happening to me in the end <laughs> with my podcast. But it's just, I I kind of want to, I, I think I'm just, because I don't need to think of things at scale, I do any opportunity that I can like focus on the content being good and feel like uh, solid in that I'm giving people something that's worth something. Mm-hmm. Um, the more bespoke, you know, the, and knowing that'll require a more like bespoke strategy, that's where I'm going to go for now. Um, unless something happens between now and, uh, November 30th, which will be the last episode of the season slash series question mark that, um, <laughs> causes me to totally sell out and change my mind. Okay. And, you know, you talk a lot on the show about why you need to make money and want to make money and some of it comes from your childhood background and mm-hmm. have, and uh, having an infant yourself and uh, wanting the safety of homeownership and other things like that. Um, so, well, people should tune in uh, shameless acquisition target and links will be in the show notes mm-hmm. to this. And if you want to follow you on Twitter, what, what's your uh, Twitter handle? It is L R M A Y E R L R mayor at Twitter. And then also, if you go to shameless.biz, it has all of the various listening links at the top. Um, so that might save you from what I call um, there's you can avoid two, you can you can't avoid three things, death, taxes and show notes. So you can just put <laughs> shameless.biz in the show notes and, and people will be able to listen to it there. Right. And you are selling merch. That's another. Oh, uh, yes. Every week, new, every episode, new merch. Another revenue thing. That you're so you're sort of doing, you know, it's a full spectrum of 360 on this this Mm -hmm. problem of how can 
an independent producer or creative person um, make a living in podcasts. Um, so people, yeah, so people can buy t-shirts and mugs and stuff like that. Um, yeah, okay, well, I've enjoyed the show so far. I'm Thank looking you so fo much. forward to the finale and hope it's a happy ending, of course. Um, so thank you, Laura, for coming on. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Well, thank you again. Thank you to all the listeners out there. You know, listeners, you can tell your friends, if you have any, about this show <laughs> if you want. Um, if you want this show uh, to, you know, thrive in the future and rate, review, and all those other things. I don't have any merch yet. Maybe I should. Yeah, make some merch. It's very easy. Tpublic.com. They're not paying me yet. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Bye.